Hello and welcome to episode 24 of the Arsenal Beat, the only Arsenal podcast which brings together the journalists and reporters who cover the club on a regular basis. I'm Molly Hudson from The Times and today I'm joined by The Guardian's Susie Rack and Art de Rocher of The Athletic. Arsenal host Manchester United in the Women's Super League on Friday night in a game which could prove crucial to their ambitions this season. Arsenal were fourth going into the game, six points off United with a game in hand, and with that all-important third Champions League spot still up for grabs. So, Susie, what are you expecting from the match and who who do you think is the favourites going into it? Ah, uh, it's a good question. I don't really know what I'm expecting from the match. Um, it depends, like, it's for me it sort of depends on which Arsenal shows up um, in the the previous game they played against Man United up at um, Lee Sports Village they just didn't really look up for it um, and never never kind of really looked in that game and it was quite a disappointing performance in that respect um, so I think I think I would have Arsenal in favour and say they've got a point to prove. But, um, yeah, and if you combine that with the injuries that Man United have got at the moment, um, their injury list is getting as heavy as Arsenal's has been at points, then I think you've got to slightly give Arsenal the edge. But that could be my heart speaking rather than my head. And I know you've we've talked on this podcast before about um, Arsenal's record against the big teams. What do you think it is that Arsenal need to do against Man United that maybe they haven't earlier on in the season and haven't against some of the, the bigger teams? The main thing there is probably just being a bit more clinical, I think. Um, obviously, we were at the Chelsea game at Meadow Park where Arsenal drew one or obviously taking the lead and then, and then <laughs> Chelsea equalised and then I guess I'd call it dramatic fashion. And uh, I think throughout that game, we kind of saw, especially with how close we were, we were to Joe tomorrow, just how, I guess, uh, detailed he was on that day in particular, in terms of the instructions he was given his players. And I think throughout that game, you just saw how, I guess, his approach maybe had changed to, to the bigger games where he was a bit uh, more... He was managing more on a micro level, I guess, which almost worked out on the day. Obviously, it didn't. Um, and he held his hands up to that. But I think those kind of changes from, say, the Chelsea game in January last year is probably what uh, will give him encouragement and obviously the squad as well. And I think um, the main difference would just have to be being a bit more confident as well when they're in possession, I'd, I'd say, because... Uh, if we look back to against Manchester City and Chelsea, in fact, um, it was very much about relying on their mistakes rather than actually um, putting Montemore's football into, into, into fruition. So I think being more confident and taking, actually taking the game to Manchester United, which, as Susie mentioned, they didn't do in, in the away game. Um, and then once those chances come, taking them, which obviously uh, Vivian Miedema and co are very good at doing. Really mm. good point. You're on the touchline because we were, it, that was, um, they were back to back, weren't they? So Arsenal played Man United in Lee and then played Chelsea at home. And I remember commenting on it with you, Molly, how different Joe was 
in those two games, how he was basically sort of almost like hunkered in the dugout in the Man United game, very, very quiet. Um, and then in the Chelsea game, it, he was transformed. He was like, he said he brought out, the, it, it, it brought out the Italian in him and he was like really, really vocal on the touchline and stuff. And it, it almost felt like that seeped into the players on the pitch a bit and it was a markedly different performance. He's sort of continued that a little bit and I think it has helped, but it's it, it's hard to say how much of an effect that kind of thing has, but... There, what there, there has been some kind of switch between those two games in the way he's working with the team during games, I think. Yeah, and I think he, it's sort of, it's almost like the fan came out in him in a way. Like, obviously, we know he's an Arsenal fan from, from when he was very young, both the, the men's and the women's team. So we sort of saw when they lost to Manchester United, I think that was maybe the most dejected I remember Montemoro, like in a, post-match press conference he was just you know obviously he didn't want to be there he didn't want to speak to the media he was just so disappointed to kind of lose a game that wasn't against Chelsea or Manchester City which we hadn't really seen from Arsenal we've always known them to be so dominant um, against everyone except the those sort of two teams I guess and I remember him saying that he looked back and really communicated with the players on what they could do better and I think it was actually the players that identified that the players identified that they wanted Montemoro to be more vocal on the touchline to, to kind of micromanage, as, as Art was saying. And it did seem to really work in that Chelsea game. Um, but I guess the, the, the build-up to this week has felt like, as Sue's touched upon, a lot about injuries. Um, obviously, Arsenal have, have had so many, um, again, that we've talked about before, and now it's been United, particularly their forward players. And Casey Stoney said this week that she felt there was a little bit of a sense of what could have been, you know, both for her side, but also for Arsenal, that maybe some of the reasons they've dropped points was down to injuries. So what do you guys think, or sort of, Suze, do you think that this is a fair reflection of the teams to be batting out for third? Or in other circumstances, do you think they could have had enough to go for the title? I think it speaks to the investment levels because if you look at Man United and Arsenal, they are not keeping pace with Chelsea and City yet in terms of investment levels. Like Man United are driving to get there and are upping their like investment and support for the team like gradually. You know, they're still a very new team and Arsenal sort of starting to dip behind. Um, there's a bit of a like question mark over whether they're going to commit to their team competing at the top level in the long term for me at the moment. And that speaks to them being third and fourth because whilst, yes, they both invest in their teams very heavily, they've not got the superstar squads of City and Chelsea. They've got really, really good starting 11s, but they haven't got the depth to their, uh, to either team to be able to cope with um, cope with more than a couple of injuries whereas you know you look at Chelsea they've had a number of injuries over the past week to their captain Magda Eriksson they've now got Mielder back there for, Mielder their first choice right back out injured um, and have you know had a mixture of other injuries over the season but you never really notice them there's people that can slot in and rotate in that are of as good quality and I don't think um Arsenal and United have that yet. Um, I think in this game, it could be the injuries that play the biggest part in that um, 
United have got some players back, like Lucy Staniforth and things, but um, the like you say, the hit to their their front line, which I think Casey Stoney was like saying at the start of the season, God, you know, our front, our attacking line was like completely sacked. And now it's been pretty decimated by injuries to the point of which that, you know, you look at Alessia Russo um, and uh, and Tobin Heath in particular as, as two like really, really key players early on, both outs still. Um, so I think that's where it's going to be won and lost is is it in whether United standing forwards um can do enough to uh to make up for the loss the losses of those very very important players to them. And with the backdrop of the injuries art, do you feel as though this is almost a one off in the fact that Arsenal and United are going to be fighting this out for third or do you think it's something that as investment clearly from Chelsea and Manchester City continues to grow, that it's more going to be those those two going for the title and, and Arsenal and United sort of fighting it out for, for the second or third. I think, as you say, like with how Chelsea and City have, of course, over the past few years, and they continue to do so, invest in the team, whether Arsenal and United can 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 catch that. I don't think so. Looking at it at the current moment, um, and when you see how um, the WSL responded with going with that third Champions League spot, I do think that over the next few years, at least, it probably is going to be between Arsenal and United fighting for that third spot because you don't really see, uh, as Susie mentioned, you don't really see Arsenal splashing out as Chelsea and City do, uh, even though Manchester United do, maybe do want to show ambition. Of course, I think yesterday they they announced that they're going to be playing at Old Trafford. Um, and obviously that's a step in another step in the right direction, but it's going to take time for them because they're still a young team. And I think when you look at how the league is now, it's probably going to be Arsenal and Manchester United going for that, that third spot, probably uh for the next couple of seasons when you look at this, the depth in their squads as well, because when, I guess when we were going into the season and you look at, you looked at the signings that Chelsea were making, you may be f- looking from the outside for, come on, man, that's too much. How are you going to fit all these people in one team? But um, as we've seen, they, they can all get minutes because, uh, there's going to be unexpected injuries or whatever happens, uh, drops in form, p- uh, people improving in form. And that's where the depth c- comes in. And as um, I think we've mentioned before in the podcast, Joe Montemurro likes to have a smaller squad. And uh, obviously he sees benefits in that, but there are, of course, drawbacks to it as well. And um, I think the longer that goes on, it probably makes it, that much harder for Arsenal to truly um, make a sustained push to stay in that top two, even though um, obviously they have they have already won the league under Montemurro. I think Do, challenging for that on a consistent basis is probably a bit harder with with a squad the size of Arsenal's at the minute. But that being said, last summer was uh, very much. Uh, in terms of a recruitment process, I think they recruited smartly. They've just been a bit unlucky. And if they're able to kind of 
reset physically and mentally in the summer, then uh, who knows what can happen next season. I think uh, as, a, as a whole, their squad should be maybe strong enough to give it like a, a real push if they're lucky with injuries and and other things. But um, if if they're not so lucky with injuries as, as they haven't been over the past couple of years, it, it probably comes a bit a bit harder. We've spoken about finishing third and getting into the Champions League next season. And I just want to ask you, Suze, as, as an Arsenal fan growing up, obviously following the, the men's and the women's teams, particularly the women's, have such a strong history in European football. The kind of prospect of missing out is something that, yes, it's happened, but it feels a, a bigger deal maybe this time around than ever before. I just wondered if you could sort of talk to us about maybe some of your memories of the Arsenal teams of the past, you know, the Vic Akers and the, the Kelly Smiths and those kind of players that a lot of people probably grew up watching and associating with Arsenal women. Yeah, I've said it before. When I was uh, a kid, Arsenal ladies trained in the park across the road from um, uh, from my council estate, and we, me and my dad, used to go over when I was like four, five, six years old, and and watch them, watch them train and play. And um, like, I've been very, very lucky in that sense, in that they've always been around. Not only did I have that, you had the likes of Faye White coming into my school to run um, run sessions uh, with the girls' football team after school. Um, and that was in my secondary school. So they were kind of always there. But then you had this like rich, um, rich history of, of, of them winning as well. So when you had the the, du- the double winning parades um, and, the, and the bus of the men's team coming down, the women's team were on a bus behind it, decorated the same with their trophies. And there was just always this presence of this incredibly talented, decorated women's team. Um, at the club and it's kind of sad now to see us slightly lagging behind the the rest and possibly missing out on European football um, because like you say I think it does mean more now um, there's more uh, prestige attached to the Champions League it's got a much bigger profile than that, that, that it's ever had and I think you know it is possible that we could lose players on the basis of not having Champions League football um, and also possible that we struggle to attract, attract um, the players that we want based on not having Champions League football. When you've got more teams in the competition, um, that's more opportunities for players to be playing at, at teams that are in that in that competition. Um, so they've got more choice. It's not like there's just the two teams anymore. There's three top teams in England that they can play for, three top teams in Germany, three top teams in uh, in Spain. That they could uh, that they could play for and be competing in the Champions League, so it, it it does make it that bit harder. And I think that in and of itself, then makes it harder to get back into that competition because if you're not recruiting the players that compete could compete at the top, then you're not going to be able to break back in. And I think it's going to get harder and harder for that to happen. Uh, so I think there is a big risk that fall away now. Uh, fall out of that competition now and you're going to really really struggle to get back into it that, that's that's my biggest worry the interesting thing is is like you know a good result against Man United tomorrow and suddenly things are, are, are very very different you know Arsenal got very kind running of fixtures to the end of the season I think Man United have as well um, they both play Tottenham and uh, Everton and they're probably the toughest fixtures in theory the others are, are very very winnable but I think they're 
both will have noticed the, the warning signs in Chelsea getting beaten by Brighton and Man United being beaten by Reading. Uh, you know, United have already already suffered a defeat to a team that they maybe wouldn't have expected to. Arsenal have an extremely good record against clubs outside of the top four, um, even if their form against the top four has been, or the other top three, has been um, pretty poor. Um, so, like, regardless of the result tomorrow, it's still very, very open. And that's incredibly exciting, especially when you've got uh, them all playing teams who are really, really fighting to avoid relegation at bottom. So, yeah, it's... They, it, I, I think I think it could be a big, 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 big blow for Arsenal if they miss out on Champions League football. And it won't be as big a blow for United because they're still very much at the start of their project. Um, and I, if anything, as Casey said to us earlier in the week, uh, are ahead of schedule for, uh, for where they wanted to be, probably a year ahead of schedule for where they wanted to be. Um, and are now at a point at which where their season will look like a failure to her as a manager if they don't get that Champions League spot, which is completely fair for the way they've played this season. Um, but yeah, for Man United, it will be just reward for the way they've performed and them being ahead of schedule if they if they get it, if they miss out, that they're on the right path. If Arsenal miss out, it's it's really, really not good. And um, you mentioned the Champions League restructure there. Um, we understand the, the new season is, is going to involve an increased uh, financial reward for the clubs, both in terms of the prize pot, you know, the travel expenses, which at the moment barely, barely cover teams getting to and from games. There's, for the first time, there's going to be a, a centralised broadcast deal. There's going to be more sponsorship opportunities. Art, you've seen the, the men's team uh, go into the Europa League, which obviously doesn't exist in women's football at the moment. How much of an impact has missing out on the Champions League had for them and their recruitment? And do you foresee the same sort of pattern happening with the women's team if they do miss out? Yeah, I think um, obviously it's quite different to kind of compare, even though there are comparisons to be made in terms of finances, of course. I think even um, last season, the potential of missing out on the Europa League for the men's team um, would have had real uh, financial implications where winning the FA Cup became um, quite momentous in terms of what it, it represented because not only did Arsenal have the, I guess, stature of still being in Europe, but they also got... Um, I think it was around thirty million pounds in prize money for um, that just being in the, in the Europa League, and that can help not just with say recruitment, but other parts of the club where they maybe need help because we've, especially in the last year, we've seen how the pandemic has hit clubs in particular, and I think Arsenal themselves um, maybe lost around forty million pounds around that figure. Um, so we've seen not just with Arsenal, but clubs across uh, England and Europe, how important those finances are. But the way I'd say it probably differs a bit in um, in terms of Arsenal and men's and women's football, or it could actually be the same, to be honest, is the pull they have as a club with their traditions. I think um, we've seen that uh, since Arsenal haven't been in the Champions League and on the men's side, they've been able to sign 
uh, Alexandre Lacazette, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and uh, Nicola Pepe, for instance, and Kieran Tierney too. And I think when if you were to tell a follower of the Arsenal men's team that um, you'd be able to sign those players even without Champions League football, they probably wouldn't believe you. And then on on the women's side, of course, they've been in the Champions League more um, consistently, but um, they've still been able to recruit smartly and recruit players like Caelan Ford, for instance, who is making a real difference in the side, um, as well as uh, players who have left Arsenal in the past to to come back this year. And I think um, that's where maybe the lack of European football helps when Arsenal itself, both on the men's and women's side, have such a global pull um, because it is, it's not just like a, a, a team who may be uh, looking from the outside is like punching above its weight when they get into Europe, but it's a disappointment when they're not in it. And when you have such um, a reach as Arsenal do, I think they're going to attract quality players nonetheless, especially with the way that um, Montemurro wants to play football. It's just about, um, <laughs> I guess, the uh, the quality players who would want to play for Arsenal maybe just gets a bit, um, the sample size gets a bit smaller with uh, no European football, which is completely understandable. But yeah, I think, um, I think in terms of Arsenal, themselves that where the brand that's been kind of uh formed by as as you mentioned earlier Vic Akers and his Champions League FA Cup uh and league winning sides have built that's probably got Arsenal a bit of uh, leeway when it comes to 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 attracting new players um but of course the longer they 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 are absent from Europe the the um, the less impactful that would get, I, I'd assume. I'm a little bit wary of overplaying this game because if so, we're all going to end up sitting at Bournemouth for like a nil-nil and it's going to be terrible. But I just wonder if we could end on, for each of you, what do you think are the longer term implications if Arsenal lose this game, whether that's for the club, you know, for the players, Miedemar potentially staying on a new contract um, and Joe Montemore himself, his future, what do you think will be the implications and do you think it is that important of a game? Yeah, I mean, it is an extremely important game in terms of where the season goes and this race for that third Champions League spot. Um, but there's so many other factors involved um, in terms of the game still to play in the league. Um, the type of performance you see as well, um, I think is really important. You know, if Arsenal put in a really good performance and get a draw or lose by a small margin, then I think I think you can be a little bit more forgiving. Um, what was unforgiving was the performance in the last game um, up in Manchester. Um, and you saw that then the following week with the game against Chelsea where the performance was a, like a world away from, from that. Um, and you could forgive the drop point a lot more, a lot more easily. Um, so 
yeah, I think there's a number of factors. How the running goes towards the end of the season, if they drop any more points elsewhere, um, and and the type of performance we see. Um, there's a there's a small section of fans already doubting Joe and his future and questioning it. And I I, I I haven't got a huge amount of time for it, to be honest, because I think it's, it's quite short-sighted. He's done a lot. He won the first uh, league title in, in seven years without it. Um, we know that finances are tight um, and that the resources aren't necessarily where they they, they should be. Um, he has made some tactical errors here and there, which he's held his hands up to. But, you know, I don't think... I, I, I think it'd be very short-sighted to get rid of him um, anytime soon. Um, if anything, I could see him maybe going on his own terms um, because uh, because of the frustrations of, of fans and a lack of support from the club, maybe. Um, you know, if anything, if he, if he feels that he's not getting that, then, then I think it's more likely that he will go rather than they will get rid. Um, as he's an Arsenal fan, more likely to stick it out for as long as humanly possible um so yeah I, I i i don't think it will win or lose mean that joe montemuro goes now or at the end of the season um i don't think it will have a big impact on whether viv goes if she's going she has probably decided that one way or the other already um i don't think necessarily that this run-in and fight for a Champions League spot will have played a huge part in that. Um, and, yeah, so whilst it's important in terms of outcomes and whether this season is seen as a, as a moderate success or not, then it's, it's very, very important. But longer term, I don't, I don't think it is going to be hugely impactful. Yeah, I think I've I kind of just echo more of that because when when you look at especially I think I think Susie actually brought up the point to Joe before the Chelsea and City games. I think those were much more uh influential games in this season than than this Manchester United game even though even though the Manchester United game is coming closer to the end of the season having those those games back to back were as Joe put it season defining and I think having that understanding going into this already is probably giving him and the club a bit more reasoning, I guess, for what's going on. They they would probably understand why um, why Joe and his squad are in the position they are in now. Joe's been able to identify that um, when the questions have been asked. And I think that um, the implications of this game, whether it be win, lose or draw, they probably won't be fatal for anyone. I don't feel, even though um, that a loss would be very disappointing. I feel that every probably everybody probably already knows where they stand with how Arsenal have done this season, and it will just be about. Um, I think whatever happens would just confirm that even more, um, and then going into the summer, it's just about. As, as I mentioned earlier, just resetting and giving next season a proper push because uh, this season <laughs> has just been crazy when you think of having to start the Champions League over again, the FA Cup over again, 
straight back into the Conti Cup and the WSL and then everything else that's happened uh, both on and off the pitch uh, alongside that. And I think just having that time to properly um, think <laughs> about what the next step is will probably help Joe, uh, Vivian Mida, Malia Williamson, the whole squad just make decisions on what they feel is the best best way to move forward. That's it for another episode of the Arsenal Beat. We have a third episode of the week coming your way on Friday to look back on the Europa League tie with Olympiakos and the upcoming trip to West Ham. Stay safe. Stay safe.